Good morning. Okay, we got good audio today. No squeeching and squealing. My name is Randy. A little loud. And I'm uh, glad to be with you guys. One of the part of the teaching team. Uh, we as a church, as a community group based church, uh, do not have a full time staff. And instead, rather, we have uh, a team of teachers. Typically, in many churches, you'll see the senior pastor or the teaching pastor, you know, every week after week. But around here, you get to see mostly Clara and then uh, about five others of us or four or five others of us if they stay on the team um, and don't bail. But anyway, <laughs> not talking to anybody in particular. Um, Clara wanted me to clarify, on the, the baptism, the class that she is offering is for those who are wanting to be baptized but who have not been through our Vineyard Basics intro class to the Vineyard. Uh, if you've been through uh, the Vineyard Basics material with us, you will have been introduced and talked quite a bit about the topic of baptism. And um, we as a church... Um, believe in baptism by immersion. However, uh, we also honor uh, the understandings of others coming from other traditions. And uh, sometimes uh, those coming out of a tradition where they were baptized as an infant uh, uh, have a sense of, of that that was complete for them. We're, we're fine with that. On the other hand, others, as we describe and talk about baptism and immersion and the reflection of what that represents, uh, going down into the water and death and rising back up into newness of life, many who have been uh, baptized as infants uh, or even as young children sometimes have interest to uh, go through that process. And so, again, as a church, we would honor uh, that interest and and inclination. So on that, um, I'll transition. Um, Started a new uh, series last week and described, um, as I often do in my intros, that um, since the time of the Garden of Eden and the fall of humankind through sin, there has been a, a conflict, an engagement between two competing systems. The kingdom of Satan has engaged and is competing with the kingdom of God for the minds, hearts, and worship of humankind. And I mentioned last week uh, in my comments that the name Satan means adversary and has an adversarial relationship with God. Jesus spoke of him as the prince of this world. Paul in Ephesians 6 gives a description of spiritual powers, forces of Satan that battle against God. And he says in Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As a result of Satan's dominion over the earth, the world systems that we deal with on a daily basis are adversarial predominantly to the ways and plans of God. Last week, I showed us two lists here uh, that described some of the opposition, some of the competition and differences between these two systems. And I'm not going to read through them. Those of you who are here were, are familiar. We touched on these. Uh, but you know, just as, a, as an example, the, the world systems tend to be about control. Whereas God's kingdom is about relinquishing control. The world system tends to be me-focused. God's kingdom tends to be and is drawn to be God and others-focused. The world system pertains to personal glory. Whereas God's kingdom is about God's glory. And something I was wrestling with is the fact that, you know, we, we struggle with these. I do, and I suspect you do as well. And when we express these kinds of characteristics of the world, in so much I am partnering with Satan and operating from his kingdom. 
So when I'm on the road, traveling to and from work, and somebody wants the road to be the way they want it, and they don't want me to be there, and they move over, I have a tendency to that control thing. And uh, sorry to say, on occasion, I'm not even nice, which should be another characteristic of God's kingdom. Um, and and I want us to get that, that when we move towards and operate out of the, the enemy's kingdom, we're partnering. We're allowing his control and influence in the world to dominate us and the circumstances around us. Also, parallel, when I express the characteristics from God's kingdom, I'm partnering with God and operating from and under his system. I was uh, told a story last week. Someone had listened to the message. They had seen this kind of list. And uh, that day they, uh, they had an item listed on Craigslist to sell. A few hundred dollars, a fairly you know, expensive item that they were attempting to sell. And um, this person got a scam email. Hi, really excited about buying your item. Going to send you a check. Someone's going to bring it. And if you would cash the check and give some of the funds back to uh, the driver who's going to pick this up, um, and uh, everything's going to be awesome. Well, my friend, of course, yeah, right. It's a scam. He's gotten dozens and dozens of them. And uh, mentioned that uh, very often, most often, um, he works out of the left side when replying to that email. <laughs> you scumball. What in the world? You know, get your life together. Anyway, after the talk and seeing this list, my friend made the decision to not respond that way, but rather replied in somewhat of a gracious way, the way you're living, the pursuits you're doing are not going to lead well for you. I would encourage you to change and to pursue a relationship with God. Now, I, I don't know if exactly those were the words, you know, it was told to me in a story, but they, they were recognizing that there is a tension Every day of our lives, there's this tension between are we going to operate out of the world systems or are we going to operate out of God's kingdom? I was reminded, actually, while Martha was praying this morning, there's a a verse that I'm memorizing. I've been working with uh, off and on, not not too intensely, but um, it's a a reference that I, I personally am really wrestling with wanting to be living out of on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, in my workplace, with my co-workers, I want to be operating out of God's flow, out of God's kingdom. And Paul says uh, a, a very clear statement in Romans 8. It's not going to be on a slide because I just kind of was reminded of it this morning. And he says in Romans chapter 8, for those who live according to the flesh, that's the left side, your left side, my right side, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on what? The things of the flesh. They set their minds on the left side. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on what? The things of the Spirit. This is a practical illustration of how to do that verse. And so... I'm not sure what might be helpful to you. Maybe you should jot these down. I just made this up. I was having devotions last Sunday morning before, or last Saturday morning while I was preparing that talk. And I'm, I'm having devotions and, I, and these ideas kept breaking into my mind. Those comparisons kept breaking while I'm having devotions. And I finally said, okay, okay, give me a second here. I set my devotions aside and I wrote down the lists. Um, and... They're nothing complicated here, but but to have some kind of something in front of us to allow us to set our minds on the things of the spirit, the things of God's kingdom, because I know, you know, at work, I am very much faced on the road, you know, in the market. I am very much faced with the things of this world, the things of the flesh, mine as well as others. And I am wanting personally, I'm wanting us as a congregation, as people to, to recognize that there, is the, there are these competing systems and we have got to begin to engage and recognize when something is from within the systems of the kingdom of darkness, the dominion and realm of Satan and those of God and what we are to do as people in a society. 
One of the many places that these cosmic powers rule and war against God is in the area of money and the world's economic systems. And I said last week that just as there are two separate and independent realms or kingdoms, kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, so there exists two totally separate and independent economic systems that compete for the hearts and minds of humankind, which I introduced to us last week. This week, I want to introduce uh, the topic of the power behind money. Before we do that, let's pray. Papa, sometimes I know that I I wrestle with the practicality. I I wrestle with the application of uh, your words from your scriptures. Setting the mind on the flesh, setting the mind on the things of the spirit. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, Lord, it can look as simple as remembering, reflecting on, love your neighbor instead of get mad at your neighbor. And so I ask that as we... uh, Continue this journey as, as your kids and as, as people who want to know you better and who want to uh, live in ways that are pleasing to you. I ask that you would just, Holy Spirit, come and, and help us. Help us when we're driving. Help us when we're in the supermarket. Help it when we're at Home Depot, when we're working on our yard, when we're taking a walk with the dog and at work. We're there a lot of hours. We have a lot of impact there, good or evil. I just ask that you would help us to get these understandings about these competing forces and powers and to begin to fully operate under and from within your kingdom rather than the dominion of Satan. Help us as we reflect on these materials and this concept. I pray that you would help uh, those who are guests to uh, find and meet you today, even in uh, this material. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with a verse uh, that Jesus uses where he speaks about uh, the idea of mammon. Jesus said in Matthew 6:24, "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God." And mammonus, the Greek word, the Greek transliteration. And I've, I've maintained that transliteration for us to, to see the context, to recognize something different here. In almost every English translation, that word is translated money. The word money. Which is not the word here. There is a Greek word. There are numerous Greek words for money. That is not the word that's here, used here. So I'd like to consider some possible meanings of this word. First, it's helpful to know that this word, this one word here, is only used four times in the Bible. It's used here in Matthew 6, 24, and three other times, all of which are in chapter 16 of Luke. So not a really broad usage of this word. Matthew 6, Luke 16. And all four times, Jesus is the one using the word. It's also important to see that whenever this word mammon is used by Jesus, he is placing it in a position that is opposed to God. Whatever mammon is that he is referring to here, it is something that is in competition with God and is desiring to be loved and served as we would be called to love and serve God. When Jesus said that God and mammon could not both be served, Jesus was not simply speaking a prohibition against it. But rather he was describing an impossibility of doing so. Jesus is not saying it would be wrong to try and love and serve both God and mammon. Rather, what he is saying is, it is impossible to love and serve both God and mammon. God and mammon are opposites. And as a result, 
they cannot both be loved and served at the same time. Loving and serving one precludes loving and serving the other. Thus, either God or mammon can be loved and served exclusively. Jesus is saying then that in order to love and serve God completely, one must have nothing to do with mammon. Now, if mammon is synonymous with money or wealth, then the appropriate conclusion would be that Christians should totally renounce and have nothing to do with money or wealth. That's what his material would suggest if, in fact, we would translate that as money. And there have been people in the past, some today, who have believed this idea and have taken vows of poverty and attempted to avoid, as a result, contact with money in an attempt to be wholly devoted to God. The trouble is, is even if they avoid money, we're still involved in the economic systems of this world that require buying and selling, which they are part of, unless somehow they are able to find a place, a situation, where they can operate purely out of the kingdom pattern of receiving and giving. A challenge, though, with taking a vow of poverty is it doesn't necessarily free one from greed or the fear of lack of provision. So to simply say, I'm not going to have anything to do with money doesn't make me not fearful that I'm not going to have enough. Right? I could imagine. A tool that uh, I use, Claire uses, um, for studying uh, words and language is called the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament a very, very reputable Greek language tool. At one time, I still have it. It's on my bookshelf. It's two bookshelves wide of set of blue books, two shelves full. And it's now, of course, on my computer with a search button. A little hard to search uh, 24 volumes of, yeah, anyway. I'm going to give that set to one of my daughters, I think, one of these days, and she'll know exactly what to do with it. Yeah, let's just get rid of that thing. Anyway, I still use it. It's a great tool. It was produced uh, quite a while back. And the Greek uh, word, uh, as it's described in this tool, says the Greek word mammonus seems to, I love that, seems to come from an Aramaic noun which most probably derives from the root word mame. Not mame, but mame. And the word mame, listen to this, the word mame means, do I have it up there? No, no, I don't, we didn't do it. The word mame means that in which one trusts. Mammonus comes from this word that means that in which one trusts. Which I think leads us beyond the simple translation that has often been done of the word for money or wealth and into something much more significant, something much more at stake. And I, I, I believe that in selecting this word, Jesus is choosing an ancient Aramaic word that denoted an entity or a spirit that exists in the heavenly realms. A word from an ancient time when peoples worshipped gods and deities of finance, as they would have gods of agriculture, gods of weather, gods of the earth, a god of deity or finance. Every culture, every religion has name or names for the gods or deities they worship. There were three Canaanite gods named in the Old Testament that are often uh, reflected. One is El, the father of all gods and humankind, would be parallel to Zeus. Um, I don't know what the Roman, Zeus is Greek, right? So then there's the Roman one who's, yeah, right? We've got movies these days that reteach us about these uh, gods, right? They're kind of fun and little kids are fighting in swords and water and stuff. Anyway. All right, so uh, a Canaanite god named El, um, a 
name of a goddess named Asherah, considered the queen of heaven. For those who don't like male figureheads, let's have a female one. And then there was Baal, which was the Canaanite god of fertility. Not only of humans, of course, but of animals. So a lot of worship to that because at that time, your livestock was your livelihood. And that was important. In Western culture, as an outcome of our age of enlightenment and the rise of rationalism in which the criterion of truth isn't sensory but intellectual and deductive, the idea of demons, spirits, angels, and even God for that matter have been concluded to a predominance to be irrelevant, unnecessary, untrue. Uh, I personally still remember in the 60s being a child, but uh, a child of the 60s, um, remembering that God is dead. Billboards and signs that were around in that time. The Bible, however, very clearly portrays a presence of spiritual powers and influences that are called demons in the New Testament. We read earlier the Ephesians 6.12. I'm not going to read it again, but it speaks about our struggle being against, not against enemies of flesh and blood, human beings, but against powers, rulers. Notice that many of these words, these kinds of entities that Paul names here, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. I would suggest that this mammon that Jesus is speaking of fits this category of a cosmic power, a spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realm that was alive and well in the time of Jesus and is still alive and well in our day. That influences and is demanding worship from the hearts of humankind to love and serve money in our physical realm. Frequently throughout um, their history, the Israelites were both tempted and struggled with succumbing to worship of other gods than Yahweh, the one and true God. On many occasions, the people were called to forsake their love, their service to these other gods of the other peoples, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites. No, no, not the Parasites. Uh, and the other ites that are often mentioned in the Old Testament. So a question that we need to really wrestle with here is what was the nature of these false gods? I know when we go to Disneyland and you, you do the, the ride through the, um, the Jungle Cruise, every, and who has not been on the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland or Disney World? Who has not? Okay, you can bypass it. Right. Actually, it's kind of fun. Anyway... They have totem poles, and they have little guys, little dudes, hanging onto the totem poles with uh, jackals underneath them trying to, to get at them, really cute, and there's alligators, and the guy shoots them and stuff like that. Anyway, totem poles. We, just, we look at a totem pole, and we go, <laughs> get this piece of wood, right? Or idols or whatever. I mean, we, we know those things are just wood and stone, right? But what was behind the demands for the worship of those peoples. Were those gods, El, Asherah, were they simply wood and stone, or were there spiritual powers behind those false gods? And if so, were they the same demonic powers and spiritual forces of evil that Paul is referencing and that Jesus is speaking? Many Christian leaders and educators believe that that's the case. So when Jesus stated that you cannot serve both God and mammon, I, it would seem to me that he is contrasting two spiritual real entities, powers and influence. In the same way that God desires our love and service, so does the spirit of mammon. Just as God wants to be our master, so mammon wants to be our ruler and master. As there was a temptation for the Israelites to worship the false gods, El, Asherah, Baal, so there is today the temptation for us to love and serve mammon, along with many other powers and rulers, I would suggest. 
And so there is, even in our day, even for you and I, a battle going on over our hearts for the love and service that we are to give. So what is mammon if we would conclude these thoughts and ideas? Mammon would be an evil cosmic power or demonic spiritual force that resides in the heavenly realm that would be one of Satan's minions or powers under his and a part of his kingdom that influences the hearts of humankind to love and serve money in the physical realm. Money in and of itself, I would suggest, is impotent. Money by itself is, does not have power, like the totem poles or the rocks or stones. They themselves, as money, are amoral. The issue is the spiritual power behind the influences behind those things that attempt to control you and I. There then is, in fact, if this is true, a real power, an evil power behind the financial systems of our world. And it's not God. It's the spirit of mammon. And it is demanding worship and service. Many people, including Christians, believe that the real power is in money or simply in a human being's love for money or the things that money can buy. But I would suggest that there isn't power in those, but there is in this evil power behind the money system. And that we need to recognize and deal with. Let's consider the purpose of this demonic power called mammon. We know that every spirit operates out of and from, God, from the Satan's kingdom, the right side of that page. All of these minions workers uh, operate to turn the hearts of people away from God and, if possible, to worship of itself. And we see that the intention in the Garden of Eden, in the temptations of Jesus, and the temptations throughout the Bible are for this purpose. Every one of them is attempting to turn those individuals away from worship and adoration of God. Think about the garden. Think about Jesus' temptations. John references them in 1 John again, these, these pulls to the glittering things of the world, power, control, influence, sexual orientation. The primary purpose of the spirit of mammon is to obtain from people their affection, love, loyalty, worship, and service, to turn people's hearts from God. And I, I just speculate, you know, I don't know what language mammon speaks, probably all of them, but um, I would suspect that, that uh, this demonic power loves to hear the money of the U.S. currency called the almighty dollar. I wonder if he even initiated it. In Matthew 6:24. Luke 16:13 Jesus identifies this conflict of love, loyalty and service between God and mammon. Jesus said, "If you love one, you will hate the other." Jesus said, "If you are loyal to one, you will despise the other. And if you serve one, you cannot serve the other." Those are really really strong words. And I would suggest that I and many of you have minimized that truth. I think it's something to think about. The purpose of mammon is to get us to be loyal to, love and serve, him, it, and to hate, despise, and not serve God. And as is the case in most demonic activities, the primary assault 
that is put upon us is not direct, but operates in a cloaked manner through deception. And I would suggest that the primary tactic of mammon is to entice or to attempt people to serve him without realizing that there is, in fact, this power that is at work. And it does that through propagating lies. Lies that are widely believed in the heart of most people to be truth. Let me just throw three of them at you. The first lie is that there are no evil beings or forces in the world. Even we, when we're driving on the road and we're in the supermarket and we're at work, don't think about the fact that there are potentially demonic influences. Right? Most days, I don't think about, oh yeah, I wonder if I'm going to meet somebody who's demonized. Most days, when I go to the market, I don't think about that that magazine rack at the checkout has power and influence, demonic influences behind it. I can feel it. Same with the candy bars. I can feel the draw and the temptation. Or at Home Depot, all those things I really need for my tools in my garage. I can feel the temptation. So the first one is, is sort of to minimize or make us forget or really not or completely not believe in spirit, evil spiritual powers and forces operative in the world. Another lie is that money contain money itself contains inherent power. That somehow money has power. The spirit of mammon purports that a person who has a lot of money is important and powerful. I think we would probably say, yeah, isn't that true? I mean, somebody who has lots of money is very important and very powerful in our world. But the money isn't the issue. It isn't the having of money that produces importance and power. A person with little money is thought of as unimportant, vulnerable, weak. The spirit of mammon tempts and entices people to place disproportionate um, value on money and, and the having of money and having the things that money buys. You know, the, the, the little statement about the great American dream, you know, a beautiful house, a great family, and there's three of them, aren't there? Anyway, the Jones, keeping up with the Joneses, whoever in the world, we, have, we don't even have any Joneses in here. That's good. We don't have to keep up with them. But the, friends, those are the things that draw us. All those commercials, for those of us who watch TV and those of us who don't, yeah, unless we watch Hulu or something, then we still get them. Um, there are spiritual powers at work through advertising, drawing us through the enticements to be drawn away from God into the things of this world, to focus our minds on the flesh rather than the spirit. When people believe that money has power, they're tempted to love money. And that love of money then gives rise to many other forms of wickedness, according to Paul. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He does not say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is amoral. Money is not the issue. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That's not a pretty picture. Being pierced with many sorrows is not something I want for myself or any of you. And Paul is warning us that the pursuit of money and the things of money is within the realm of the kingdom and will cause us in its pursuit to be harmed and to experience death, not life. Christians who believe 
the lie that money has power allow their decisions to be governed by money rather than by God. It could be a special offering to support missions. It could be to go on a missions trip. Rather than consulting God, we might simply conclude, I just don't have the money to go. We don't have the money. I don't have the money to give. I'd really like to, but I just don't have the money. Rather than asking God, what does he have within his heart for us? If we empower money, or more accurately, the spirit of mammon, if we empower mammon to govern our choices in life, we are, without realizing it, empowering the spirit of mammon to rule and dominate over us. The truth is that money has no object, has no power. It is amoral. It is an impotent object. But mammon has ascribed to it great power and through which it attempts to influence and control the lives of people. That was the first lie. The second lie, believed by many, is that the source of our provision is our parents, our employer, our spouse, our investments, our retirement account, or some other channel through which money is supplied, loans, credit cards. And the key question here is, what is my source? Who is my source? The spirit of mammon will continually attempt us to convince us that the real power of life is in money. And if we have sufficient money, everything will be okay. I'll be able to pay my bills. I'll be able to put my kids through college. Uh, I'll be able to deal with any medical challenges, catastrophes. When I retire, I'm going to have, I'll be okay. I can buy that RV and my wife and I can travel around. We have a ton of belief in the resources of money being our provision. And where we get that is really a challenging issue. When I believe that something other than God is my source, then I become a slave to that. Doing whatever I perceive is necessary to get that money. If I'm nice and do my chores, I get my allowance. If I do a good job this year, maybe I'll get a pay raise. We're we're operating out of the system, the economic system of the world. The truth is that all provision is from God. And He is our source. James tells us in James 1.17, Every, every, say the word every with me. Every, read the verse with me. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from who? The Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I love that shifting shadows. There isn't a whole lot of what in the world is he talking about. But doesn't our world kind of look like shifting shadows? Doesn't the financial economy look a little bit like, isn't it a little shifty? Shifting shadows, okay, What's the market doing today? I, I'm an HR manager, and I, along with our CFO of our company, oversee and work with a committee for the retirement. The retirement funds uh, in our company are about $4.5 million, which is nothing compared to lots of people, lots of companies, but $4.5 million. And it's really important what the market's doing for how much money $4.5 million is earning each year or not earning. And that money is tied and guaranteed to people and their retirement. And that committee has, what's the word, Kevin? Fiduciary, thank you. Fiduciary responsibility to make sure those monies are available to people when they retire. Supposedly Social Security does too, but I don't think they have, I don't think there's anybody there with fiduciary rights. Shifting shadows? All right. SS, Satan's servant? Uh, no. Shifting shadows? Okay, okay, Social Security? All right, I like that. When we are clear 
Wait, let me back up. Sorry, I missed something here that I think is important. When we are clear that God is our source, then we never need to see money as a goal or an end in life. We never need to look to money to provide security, safety, medical help. If we truly believe and within our hearts know that God is our source, we are free to seek first His kingdom, what is right in His eyes, and we do not need to fear for lack. Now, is that going to be tested? A few times? A lot of times, week after week, on some occasions, month after month. We don't have to fear for lack if we really believe that God is our source. Let me say it again. If God is our source, we are free to seek first His kingdom, what is right in His eyes, and we do not need to fear for lack. When we're clear that God is our master and source, then as stewards called to manage money under God's direction, money will no longer be our master. Instead, money will become our slave to serve God and expand his kingdom. Sadly, many Christians are caught in a bondage to the spirit of mammon They do not have the extra and the resources to be able to use in kingdom dynamics. They don't have funds to serve God, but rather try to use God to get money. The purpose of the spirit of mammon then is, one, to turn our eyes and our hearts away from God to believe these lies about the power of money and to trap us into the love of money through which would give rise many other forms of rebellion and wickedness. Next week, Clara is going to talk about Mammon's partner. Mammon has a partner, a significant other. As we, uh, I'm closing, I, I want us to reflect on a possible response this morning to this information. And the first thing we have to really, really remember is that information alone does not lead to change. Week after week in churches around America, we give information, good information, hopefully, and many times truthful information. But we walk out unchanged. Nice sermon, Pastor. That was cool. Wow. But we live our life the same that week and the following. Change, Jesus and the Bible clearly takes, clearly communicate and teach, comes from a change of our heart. In Matthew 15, Jesus said to the crowds, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. For what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So I would encourage us, I think, to a great degree, to a great degree, we all are in agreement with much of the information that I shared today. Maybe this mammon thing's new and a little weird. I'm okay with that. I understand. But that God is our source. I mean, numerous echoes of amen to that. We hear it. We think it. We believe it, but how do we live it? I know for me, as, as, as soon as just this last beginning of May, I completed my first year at this company. And um, it, it is, it's the most significant position I've ever had. It's the largest number of employees. It's the largest building I've ever managed. Um, 
and uh, it's been really hard to learn to do it and to manage all that's needed. But I've I've grown in the position. I've grown. I've grown. I've, I think I have pretty much uh, evidenced faithfulness in my work. Uh, but as as recently as May. Fifth, when my boss took me out to lunch for sort of the end of my first year anniversary of having been there, after we were done with lunch and driving back, I said, so, like, is there anything you want to tell me about, like, you know, maybe something I should be working on or a concern you might have? And I'm just going to be transparent with you. That was coming out of fear of losing my job. And the root of fear of losing my job wiggles its way through the mammon spirit but gets all the way down to who is my source and who do I trust. And bottom line for me, if I'm fearful of losing my job, it means I'm not trusting God. I trust God up here. I believe God is my source. But in my heart of hearts, I struggle. And that's where I want us to reflect this morning. Jesus said it is impossible possible to love and serve both God and mammon. Do we believe that? How are we living related to that? And then three lies of mammon's spirit. There are no evil beings or forces in the world, or at least none that are bothering me. Over there and with them, not at Walmart. Money contains in money contains inherent power. Another one of the lies. And the third one was that the source of our provision is parents, employers, spouse, investments, or some channel through which money is supplied. We've already identified the Bible clearly declares that God is our source. He is the one who provides every good thing. And then I suggested, if God is our source, we are free to seek first his kingdom, what is right in his eyes, and we do not need to fear for lack. So what I'm going to ask us to do here in conclusion is to uh, take a moment, as we did, as I encouraged last week, I'd like us to just kind of pause. I'd like us, before we clap and say goodbye walk out the door and head off to lunch and to work tomorrow and other places we have to go, that we would just take a moment to reflect back. How, how, are, how are we thinking? How are we believing? How, where are we at related to these issues that have been raised this morning? I really believe that our minds are probably in accord with these. But where is our heart? So let's just take a moment. I'm not going to, I'll kind of close it in a prayer. But I I would invite you perhaps to ask God. Ask God, where is your heart? Related to money. Related to him as your source. Related to these lies. See if he, see if you'll be willing to allow him to maybe turn some lights on. Bring some exposure where those places are in us, are still dark. So just take a minute and do that if you would. I will do the same. Papa, we sang a a song earlier today that said your ways are higher than our ways. And I know that in my heart of hearts that while I'm familiar with many of your ways, I'm much more familiar with the ways of the world. And I recognize that way too often I'm operating out of the systems of this world that are dominated and ruled by your adversary, attempting him, attempting to be God. That's why he was cast out of heaven. He created a war to take over. 
he took over earth right out of our hands and now rules as the prince of this world. And I too much accommodate and partner with his means, methods, and madness. <laughs> and Papa, I want to live out of your ways, to love your ways, to live according to them in all areas of my life. And I believe we all want that. So Holy Spirit, help us. Grace us with your empowerment. Fill us with revelation about your ways. Help us to see the ways of the world and to recognize the contrast. And teach us how. Teach us how to not walk according to the flesh. by setting our minds, focus on the things of this world. But teach us how to live according to the Spirit by focusing our thoughts on your realm, upon you and your kingdom, your ways. Even this week, teach us how to walk. Show us the way. Be glorified, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to invite some of our leaders and folks to come up. Um, Some of you here, what we are a community-based church, which means that we are connected in our relationships. We're available to one another. Um, We also believe that we are uh, able to connect with God and to help one another in that process. And so if uh, you would like some prayer or to talk with someone, uh, maybe these issues have wrestled, has stirred up some things. Maybe there you came in this morning with other concerns, other issues. Maybe you're facing some medical conditions that you're concerned about. God is a God of healing. And he is here today to heal and mend. Hearts, relationships, bodies. would welcome you to come up. There will be folks here to pray with you and uh, to talk with you. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. We do have the, the pizza with the leaders thing. We've got some uh, gluten-free uh, vegetables and uh, fruit. Uh, it's even vegan, I think. Fruit and vegetables are vegan, right? There's no dairy in it either, I don't think. So that's pretty cool. I'm making fun, but I'm actually working towards those, some of those uh, changes in my own diet. Anyway, so come on. Uh, if you're new, have, the, have time for lunch. We would love to have that. That'll be in this room right over here. And you can come see Claire and I just to kind of let us know that you're coming. Uh, others of you are released. Um, have a great day. Uh, have a good week, and we'll see you again next Sunday.